Are followers of Jesus free to sin with no consequences whatsoever, whether in this life or the next? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You're listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Monday, July the 11th of 2011, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys, and thank you so much for joining us today. Again, like I always say, you know, I know that you guys have a choice when it comes to downloading podcasts and who you listen to and everything, and I feel so blessed that you're here with us today. Today we're going to be studying Romans chapter 14, verse 10, continuing in our study of Romans. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 14, verse 10. We'll go ahead and get started with that here in just a moment. But again, you know, I I do want to apologize to you guys that we haven't had uh, the regular normal schedule of having Romans lessons the way that uh, that I would like to. But yeah, the past couple weeks have been, actually the past month has been uh, pretty crazy for me between, um, you know, the, the kids getting out of school and then we went out to Las Vegas for a week uh, where we stayed with my parents and uh, my wife, Christina, had surgery, uh, successful surgery, by the way, and uh, then coming back here, and it was 4th of July, and between all of that, you know, I'm trying to keep up with church work and and all that, so anyway, oh, and not to mention the fact that um, that I had the half marathon uh, here in Seattle a couple weeks ago, uh, or uh, yeah, about two weeks and a couple days ago, which went great, by the way. Uh, my running partner is a guy from the Netherlands, great guy, and he wears these shoes uh, called Vibrams. They they look like they kind of look like a glove. Uh, they they have five fingers, you know, they're called five finger shoes. Anyway. In, in the middle of our uh, 13.1 mile run, uh, he happened to rip his shoe. He, he like he, he tripped kind of, and ripped um, ripped his shoe and broke one of his toes. And you know I was committed to to run with him. He was committed to running with me. So we stayed together the whole way. We did end up finishing, but yeah, around mile four, maybe four and a half. Uh, poor guy. He 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 ripped his shoes and broke his toe, which couldn't have been easy to run a half marathon on. But uh, but we did it. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience. We ran with twenty six thousand other people, which was just nuts. But um, I, I even more nuts maybe is the fact that I signed up for next year's full marathon. So, yeah, I'll, I'll train for that. Uh, not sure if I'll be able to get to that point or not, but they were running a special where it was cheaper to sign up uh, a year in advance, and I thought, well, you know, I've got a year to prepare for a marathon. I think I can do it. But anyway, so yeah, we haven't had this regular schedule of Romans lessons. I hope you guys are enjoying the First Thessalonians lessons instead, you know, that we're having uh, about every other week. Uh, we'll be finishing up our study in First Thessalonians next week, I believe. I believe um, we've got one more lesson to go in that study, and we'll wrap that up next week. And of course, last week we also had Fourth of July. Fourth of July fell on uh, on Monday, and so I did... Uh, a sermon for you guys. I gave you guys a sermon that I did on freedom. So, hope you enjoyed that. 
Anyway, um, let's go ahead and get started with our lesson today. Again, we're going to be addressing Romans chapter 14, verse 10. Let's go ahead and open with a quick word of prayer. God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to come together as a worldwide audience, a worldwide community of believers who are dedicated to studying your word. God, I pray that you would lead us into truth today, that you would convict each of us individually as to how this would speak to our lives and how you want us to live in light of the verse that we're going to cover today. We love you, we live for you, and we ask you to teach us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the overarching theme here of the the 14th chapter of Romans is unquestionably the unity of believers. The fact that we are inevitably going to have differences between us, among us, is something that should send a message to the world, actually. A message that we are united by our faith in Jesus, despite our differences, and that it's our faith in Jesus that holds us together as a family. Paul has instructed us very clearly that we should avoid making judgments on the opinions uh, that our brothers and sisters in Jesus have, because each of us is free to serve the Lord as the Lord leads us to serve through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, one of the points that we made in our previous lesson is that while we're free in Jesus, it's possible for us to abuse our freedom. That is, we're not to take our freedom in Jesus as an opportunity to sin, nor are we to take our freedom in Christ as a justification for causing others to sin, right? I had illustrated this point with a hypothetical scenario in which two women go to church, one dressed provocatively, the other one dressed modestly. And the point that I was trying to make with that illustration was that it's possible for someone to abuse their freedom, causing others to sin by dressing provocatively. And by the way, who wants to see their pastor preaching in Speedos, right? I mean, I guess he could technically do that, but uh, would it be sin for him to do that? Would he be causing others to sin by doing that? That's the question. And this goes for, for both men and women when they're going to church or wherever. However, I do want to first reiterate the fact that if the way that a person is dressed causes someone else to sin... That other person, the person that is being caused to sin, is still completely responsible for their own sin. Nobody can make somebody else sin, not not like a cause and effect relationship, strictly speaking. But there's also an aspect of guilt that the person who has dressed provocatively must face. The danger here is to take this illustration too far, however. If a man, for example, God forbid, decides to sexually assault a woman who is dressed provocatively, whose fault is it? Friends, I want to make sure that we understand that it is never, never the victim's fault in a case of sexual assault. Studies have shown that neither clothing, nor really lack thereof, nor degree of beauty have anything to do with whether a person decides to sexually assault another person. Sexual assault is about power and control. It's not about what the woman is wearing. So I want to make sure that we all understand that sexual assault is never, ever the victim's fault. It's never, ever the victim's responsibility. The perpetrator is always, without exception, other than mental disability, they are always responsible for their own 
actions. Now, let me use another example in which we can very easily sin by abusing our freedom and then cause other people to sin. Let's say that you've got a friend who is a recovering alcoholic. Now, are we free to drink alcohol in moderation as followers of Jesus? Absolutely. I believe that the Bible very clearly allows a Christian to have, you know, maybe a glass of wine with dinner, for example. I believe that the Bible teaches that consumption of alcohol only becomes sin at the moment that a person becomes intoxicated, even only slightly, slightly intoxicated or or buzzed, as as the word is these days. So yes, we do have that freedom to consume moderate, small amounts of alcohol, but do we have the freedom to cause a recovering alcoholic to struggle with temptation to alcohol? I'd say absolutely not. If our drinking alcohol, even though we're free to do it, if our drinking alcohol causes someone else to stumble into that sin of drinking alcohol to the point that they become intoxicated, we're abusing our freedom. And it's better that we never consume alcohol ever again than it is that we drink it and cause someone else to sin by it. Another example would be maybe tattoos. We have the freedom to have a tattoo. In fact, I have a tattoo myself of a padlock chain being broken apart around my right bicep. And when I got it, I got it to remind myself and to tell others that I'm freed by Christ from the obligation to sin, that I'm no longer a slave to sin. Yes, the Levitical law says that we shouldn't be marked for the dead. But two points. First of all, The follower of Jesus isn't under the Levitical law. And secondly, I'm not marked for the dead. I'm marked for the living God. So yeah, I'm free to have a tattoo, right? But in the church that I pastor, I'm very aware of the fact that it's at least possible that if I were to wear a shirt that shows off the tattoo, I could very easily cause someone in the congregation to stumble. So what do I do? Well, I don't wear shirts in church that allow my tattoo to be visible. Not because it's a sin to have this tattoo, but because I don't want the guilt of causing anybody else to sin because of it. So even though I'm free to have it, it's better for me to not reveal it, at least during services, than it is to cause people in the congregation to stumble because of it. And they know that I have it, but I don't show it off. Now, I think that James summarized this principle very well when he wrote, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's from James chapter 4, verse 17. Go back and study that verse if, if this is something that you have a question about. James four seventeen. So I hope that clarifies the point of abusing our freedom in Christ by causing other followers of Jesus to sin by exercising our freedom. So the point that Paul's tried to make thus far in the 14th chapter is that every follower of Jesus is to stand united to accept every other follower of Jesus and that we should avoid judging the opinions and personal convictions of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Why? Because ultimately... We're all servants. We're all bond slaves of Jesus. And we'll one day stand before him to be held accountable for our lives. God has accepted every follower of Jesus. Every person who has put their trust in Jesus for salvation, God has accepted them. So who am I to not accept those people? So my instruction is to love them and to stand united with them. I might not agree with them about their opinions or personal convictions, but that's something that I have to learn how to be okay with. Listen to what Paul writes next here in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. But you, 
Why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, before we go too far into discussing this verse, we should note that the KJV, the the King James or King Jimmy version, says the judgment seat of Christ rather than the judgment seat of God. And of course, those who claim uh, that the KJV is the only reliable translation, um, uh, you know, they'll throw out the accusation that translations that say the judgment seat of God have changed the Bible. Friends, that's, that's silliness, really. That's, that's just nonsense. In fact, there are very, very few ancient manuscripts of this verse which say judgment seat of Christ. And those copies which do say Christ rather than God are actually late copies. The earliest copies almost unanimously say judgment seat of God, not judgment seat of Christ. So it's apparent that some early copyists substituted the word Christ in the place of God. Theologically, it's still correct. But it certainly seems more reliable to say the judgment seat of God. Nevertheless, if you believe that the King Jimmy Version is the only reliable, inerrant translation of the Bible, you know what? I love you, and I accept you as my brother or sister in Christ anyway. Now, as one studies the letters of Paul, they can't miss that this premise is one of the foundations of Paul's philosophy of living as a Christ follower. His motivation was simply to try to live a life that was pleasing to God. And I'm certain that this was at the center of his view of how to live. Back in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, he told us that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, he writes, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, he writes, We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God, who examines our hearts. So, It's pretty clear that when Paul examined the life of a fellow follower of Jesus, his question was really this, is this person trying to live a life that's pleasing to God? And of course, behind the effort to please God is a godly fear, a fear which is so serious that nothing else really matters in comparison. And that's why Paul was able to cast aside the fear of being beaten to death by people who were hostile to his message, to the message of the gospel. That's why he wasn't concerned with having a good salary or having a comfortable place to sleep at night. He wasn't afraid that he could lose his salvation. He knew that he was secure. But what scared him, what scared Paul, was the idea that someday he'd stand before God and hear God tell him, Paul, you could have done so much more for me. Why did you waste so much time on things that ultimately don't matter? So for Paul, if a person was trying to live a life that's pleasing to God, any and all judgment, aside from that, belonged to God. Now we have to understand that while Paul was correct back in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 when he told us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we have to understand that there is nevertheless judgment that every 
follower of Jesus will have to face. Now, this isn't a judgment where you can lose your place in heaven. Rather, the believer's judgment pertains to rewards that we'll gain as a result of how faithfully we've used that which we've been blessed with in this life. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 8, Paul writes, Whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 25, Paul again writes, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. In fact, this judgment is what we refer to as the Bema judgment or the Bema seat judgment, because the Greek word for judgment seat here in Romans chapter 14 verse 10 is Bema. In classical Greek, the Bema was the judge's seat in the Olympic Games. The judge who sat in this seat didn't penalize participants in the Olympic Games. Rather, he was responsible for handing out rewards. He was responsible for rewarding the participants who were victorious in the Games. Likewise, one day we'll stand before the Bema seat, the Bema seat of judgment, and receive rewards for what we've done in this life. Have we been good stewards of our time? Have we been good stewards of our resources? Have we faithfully used the gifts which the Holy Spirit gave us when we put our faith in Jesus? What have we done in this life for the kingdom? How faithful have we been? Did we live in a way that reflected an expectation of the return of Jesus? Jesus said, every careless word that people speak, they will give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. That's from Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. So knowing, knowing that we as followers of Jesus will have to give an account for our lives, words, and actions before the Bema seat someday, we're forced to see how important it is that we avoid sin in our lives, and that we constantly strive to live a life that's pleasing to God, being good stewards, taking care of the things that we've been given, being good stewards of every moment that we're blessed with. Our sins don't get swept under a rug. No, the works of the flesh will be made known on that day and will be factors in determining whether we receive rewards as followers of Jesus or possibly lose rewards. In light of this reality, friends, our lives must be lived with an eternal perspective. Any moment that we slip, that we backslide and willfully choose to sin is a losing bet because really what we're doing when we willfully choose to sin is adopt the attitude that says, you know what, I bet God won't mind if I do this. Friends, let me make it clear that while you are secure in your salvation, if you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation and that you cannot lose your place in heaven, let me remind you there will nevertheless be consequences for willful and deliberate sin and rebellion. We can be sure that God, being completely just, will handle a person who's lived a faithful life, who's tried to live a life that's pleasing to God. He'll handle that person much differently than he'll treat a follower of Jesus who abused their freedom, yielding to the flesh rather than to the spirit throughout their life in whatever aspect. Both will have a place in heaven, but there will be differences between them in heaven. As Donald Gray Barnhouse writes in his commentary, quote, we may be sure that the consequences of our character will survive the grave and that we shall face those consequences 
consequences at the judgment seat of Christ. To bring this discussion full circle, the point that Paul's trying to make here is that we should leave the judgment, salvation judgment, to God and accept our brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean that we should tolerate blatant sin in the lives of each other. To the contrary, we should hold each other accountable for sin, working with and encouraging one another to avoid sin. But how can we hold someone accountable and direct them away from sin if we haven't first accepted them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 to 5, Paul describes a situation that the the Corinthian church was facing. A man was having sexual relations with his father's wife. The Christ followers in Corinth had tried and tried to convince this guy to walk away from his sin, but what did he do? He refused. He kept doing it anyway. No matter what they said, he kept doing it. And so after all of their efforts and all of their options were exhausted, what did Paul tell them to do? Listen to what Paul says here in verse 5. He says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, Paul was instructing them to disassociate themselves from him, to force him to leave the community of Christ followers, but don't miss what the purpose of doing so is. Ultimately, it's restoration. It's to bring him to the point where he realizes that he's being sinful and that he turns away from his sin. By handing this guy over to Satan, the man's flesh would be destroyed, but Paul says his spirit would be saved. If he was a genuine follower of Jesus, Paul knew that this guy wouldn't lose his place in heaven. His salvation was secure. But Paul knew that this guy needed the harshest form of discipline, the harshest form of correction that he could receive. And yet, how could the followers of Jesus in Corinth have handed this guy over to Satan, so to speak, if they hadn't first accepted him as part of the community of Christ followers? We have to remember, friends, we have to remember that our judgment is often flawed to some extent, whereas the judgment of God is perfect. We judge the things that we can see in a person, their actions, their words, etc., but God judges a person's heart. So with that said, let's leave the final judgment pertaining to salvation to God. He's a lot better at it than we could ever hope to be. We can and should judge the actions of others, at least to an extent, without which there would be no ethics and no morality, but we absolutely, unequivocally must avoid the temptation to judge the eternal destiny of someone who affirms the essential doctrines which relate to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's more important that we demonstrate unity and love with one another than it is that we prove ourselves correct about issues that ultimately don't matter and only serve to divide us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that despite our sinfulness, despite the fact that we would be completely lost without you, you have accepted us. You've accepted us as your own children. God, we only deserve by our actions to be children of wrath. We know that we deserve your wrath. And we thank you, God, that you loved us enough that you would not settle for that. You wouldn't leave us alone in our sins, but that you would reach down and clean us off and make us your own. We thank you, God, that you love us so much. I pray, Lord, that you would convict each of us, myself included, God, convict each of us of sins that we have 
things that we need to get rid of in our lives in order to live lives that are more pleasing to you. God, I pray that that would be our motivation, that we would simply seek to live a life that's pleasing to you through the power, teaching, guidance, and direction of your Holy Spirit, Lord God. Will you teach us to live lives that are pleasing to you? In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Jesus.